From sports medicine to the military, traumatic brain injury has been a topic of a lot of discussion. Just this week, another NFL player announced he's retiring at the age of only 24. Next, find out how researchers are addressing new concerns on and off the field. That's next on CTSI Discovery Radio. Good day, Southeast Wisconsin. You're listening to CTSI Discovery Radio, and I'm David Todd, your host for the next half an hour. On this program, we'll help you get a better understanding of concussions and traumatic brain injury, from a mild bump on the head to the most extreme cases. Plus, we'll tell you about a new way to participate in research. But first, there are 62 centers that have received a Clinical and Translational Science Award, each of them unique. So we've reached out to Dr. Lars Berglund at the University of California, Davis, to see how he's putting his award to good use. Good afternoon, Dr. Berglund. Hi, David. How have you used your CTSA to make an impact on the community that you serve? Well, I'm very pleased to talk about this because I think it has actually meant quite a lot to us, and we have been able to do things that we really couldn't do before. So just to take you back, um, we have had this now for eight years. We are going into our ninth year. So, so uh, sometimes we, we tend to forget what, what things were actually before we started. But I think there are at least three or four or maybe even more areas that, that really have seen a transformation. So um, when it comes to training and education, um, uh, the, the university at large certainly had had these abilities and had quite a lot of training potential, but there was a relatively small amount of that in the health system that, where we are and in the School of Medicine. And the CTSA provided us with a platform to bring together trainees and to form a critical mass of that actually goes from students to postdoctoral fellows, to junior faculty, and to some extent to mid-level faculty who have to sort of relearn things um, as, as, as research has become more complicated. Uh, and it did, in addition, the staff training, which actually was not very advanced at that time. Mm-hmm. And we have been able to extend our, our training programs to get new training programs that we have partnered with, uh, a couple of good examples are in cancer, the area of cancer and emergency medicine, uh, where there have come a couple of more training grants. And most recently, and this is actually just a few months ago, we were able to compete very su- successfully for, for an NIH director's so-called BEST award, which is broadening experience in scientific training, mm. which involves uh, a lot of, of trainees actually and, learn, and teaching them skills that go beyond the traditional research skills that involves project management, communication, um, regulatory science, and, and working in industry. So, so I feel that that area has actually provided us with enormous opportunities. We have now a an, an, uh, very active community engagement program, and, and the leader of that program um, is very much involved with the state um, and cre- creating policies in mental health uh, treatment and so on, and has come up with some some um, very deep documents that actually allow has has starting to play a major role at the county level. Um, we have an, a program that that didn't really exist before, which which now exists in every CTSA, and that is the skills in information technology and informatics and how to use large data set. Oh yeah. And I think we all benefit from from the CTSA environment there because we are able to to pick up tools that other CTSA have uh, and, and are willing to, very, uh, to share with us to enhance our program. 
So um, I can go on and on and on, but I think mm. that if you ask our, our, our trainees, if you ask our faculty, I think they, they clearly see a difference that this program has made. And I, I, I'm, I'm quite, um, um, quite certain that, that if you look at what we had before and what we have now, it's, it's a wealth of difference. Dr. Berglund, thank you so much for sitting down with us and having uh, this conversation. I appreciate the time. Thank you very much. As part of the continued growth of the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin, our next guest, Dr. Amit Godi, and his team at the CTSI have recently launched a new website to help community members interested in research find a study that's just right for them. Dr. Goodday, thank you for joining me today. Can you tell me about the clinical trials office that recently opened at Freighter Hospital as part of the CTSI? So recently we established the new clinical trials office at uh, Freighter NMCW uh, with two purposes. Uh, one purpose is to serve the research community here within the institution, and the other one, of course, is to serve the community outside in, in the greater Milwaukee area. And how does the uh, clinical trials office help community members in their research interests? We actually have a very keen interest in what the community perceives research, and we really want the community to participate more in clinical research. Uh, If you know, 20% of all trials that are ever started never enroll a single patient, and that's why we are very interested. That's Uh, That's a very shocking statistic. Exactly. So our goal really is to make it easy uh, for the community to have access to these clinical trials. Uh, Now, we propose to do that through one of the three mechanisms that we have developed. Uh, First is we have established a new website. It's called Find a Clinical Trial, or FACT in short. Uh, What it does is is lists all the ongoing clinical trials at our institution in a very easy-to-understand layman language, if you may, uh, and we provide a direct number for contact in, in trials that people might be interested in participating. So that's one, one way of doing it. And we'll make sure that that website information is on our website as well. So you can actually go to cto.mcw.edu, and you can find a link to a fact uh, on that website. The other mechanism we have established is for people who do not have ready access to Internet services, uh, we have established a phone line. It's like a recruitment helpline, and the number is 414-805-1555. And anyone can call in on this number and express interest in whatever conditions they want, and we will be able to provide them with a list of trials and their corresponding uh, contact numbers and it's then up to the participants to go and, you know, uh, enroll if they feel like or contact them for more information. And there's also a third tool that's not specifically local to our researchers here, but really helps researchers nationwide with their research studies. What is that one? That's right. It's called Research Match, and it's actually an NIH-funded initiative that is going on across the country. Uh, It's really easy to use. It's web-based, and what you essentially do is you register on Research Match, and on the other end, the investigators register their trials on Research Match. And then it is up to the community members to go and contact those investigators and see if they want to enroll in those trials. So it's almost like a dating service for research people who want to get connected with the research participants. Uh, yeah, that's uh, almost true, yes. <laughs> well, thank you, Dr. Gooday. Uh, this is great information, especially for people who are so uh, interested in science, interested in helping out the community. Um, and interested in participating in research. 
Sure, I'm glad to be here, and you know, we are always here for the community, and they should utilize these resources and uh, hopefully enroll in more trials. And why don't you give us that hotline number one more time? Sure, it's uh, 414-805-1555. And like I said, we'll have that listed on our website as well. Thank you for your time today, Dr. Gooday. Thank you. Right after this quick break, we'll be talking with the National Institutes of Health and an MVP who likes to spend most of his time on the sidelines. That's next. on the head to the most extreme cases of concussion. Dr. Patrick Belgowan from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke talks with us about how traumatic brain injury can affect more than just your head. Uh, good morning, Dr. Belgowan. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you today? I'm doing well, sir. Thank you. I'm calling today because I'd like to ask you, we've been seeing a lot of news media reports about traumatic brain injury, whether that be in our children or in uh, returning veterans from war. Why is this injury or this condition getting so much attention right now? Well, we've started to develop an understanding that even mild traumatic brain injury can lead to long-term effects on people's uh, health, including cognitive effects, so the way that they think and they remember, um, emotional effects, and that uh, they have a higher incident, people who've had concussions and or mild traumatic brain injuries have a higher incidence of depression and anxiety, and um, that affects their, their social being, which can affect uh, their jobs, their school performance. And so we see this both in um, athletes, so there's a lot of, there's a recent emphasis on studying athletes. It started mostly with uh, National Football League players and it's progressed more into the collegiate level, and so there's quite a bit of data in the collegiate level, and we're hoping that that'll continue to um, work its way down into high school and even younger, because the emphasis there that NIH is really interested in is that at the younger levels, their brain is still developing rapidly, and it's not fully connected um, together with white matter, so that's that's the developmental process they're really going through, and Traumatic brain injury can affect white matter, so we would like to understand, it, you know, are brain injuries or concussions affecting the way that, you know, kids are, um, their brain is developing. The other aspect is with uh, returning soldiers, um, and what we're seeing 
you'll see in the news a lot is that, uh, you know, there's a high rate of um, suicide, PTSD, and um, homelessness in the soldiers. And some of that seems maybe related to the long-term effects of the traumatic brain injuries that, they, that they're exposed to. Now, a lot of them are exposed to traumatic brain injuries and car accidents and turned over Humvees and things like that. But they also, um, the veterans from the last two wars were exposed to a lot of blast and blast injury. The blast itself produces waves that go through your skull and shake your brain and, and contort your brain and, and um, have the same effect as a, as a concussion. And so really it's all about um, we're starting to see the long-term effects of concussion, and we have the tools now to really be sensitive to measuring them. And now we're just starting the process of really digging in and doing some research on what's happening here, correct? Right. So the NIH and Department of Defense and the Veterans Administration have all... Um, are all are all really starting to focus more and more on this so that we can you know really particularly help you know help soldiers and and and, and athletes um, is is what is are the two main populations affected by mild traumatic brain injury that that we're most concerned with thank you doctor that's exactly what I was looking for um, uh, you know a better understanding of why um, why all of a sudden so much emphasis is on this and if it really is affecting um, both our children and our veterans really long term the research is uh, is uh, going to be so important to that. Right. Yeah, and, and you, you're doing this with Mike McRae, right? Correct. Yeah. So Mike's been doing this a long time, and he's a real he's a real leader in this field. So he's he's going to be he's a great person to interview and talk to this about this. Well, great, doctor. I thank you for your time, and I uh, appreciate the NIH stepping up and uh, helping us out with this information. Yeah. No problem. Thank you. Our next guest, Dr. Michael McRae from the Medical College of Wisconsin, is a leader in the field of traumatic brain injury, or TBI and has been doing this work for over 20 years. Dr. McCray, thank you for sitting down with me today. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Can you tell me about your research in traumatic brain injury? I know it's vast. I know you're funded by many different uh, agencies and very different um, uh, organizations. Tell me how you got into the study of this and why it's important. I've been studying traumatic brain injury in various populations at risk for about 20 years. The basic answer to your first question, how did I get into this work in the first place, is probably I need to credit a couple mentors. Um, I was introduced to TBI research when I was a fellow at Northwestern University Medical School in, in the mid-90s. There was a, a neurologist there named Jim Kelly and, and a neuropsychologist, Chris Randolph, who were both my mentors at the time and, and were heavily involved in this, in this research area. Um, and the rest is history, as they say. So back to uh, traumatic brain injury, uh, there's been a lot in the media recently, um, a lot in the past year. Why so much emphasis on it now? Well, it's sort of fascinating. This is a topic that literally has gone from total obscurity to dining room household discussion in a matter of roughly a decade. Certainly, individuals on the street and, and in the general population have been sustaining traumatic brain injuries forever, as long as civilization has been around. Um, but this topic really was not on anybody's radar until uh, it made its way into sports and the military. So if we think about uh, the sports setting, really it was around the mid-1990s where some high-profile athletes started to come forward and expressing their concerns about uh, the, their perceived effects from, from concussion exposure. Uh, and then over the past uh, 10 years or more, uh, international conflicts and in our U.S. military service members involved 
and uh, and then it then it became a a topic of great interest and concern inside the military, um, and now those those two uh, corners of the world, sports and and uh, Department of Defense, have combined on a number of efforts in in hopes of advancing the science that would then provide a evidence-based approach to the diagnosis, assessment, management, and return to activity after traumatic brain injury. Uh, can you tell me, doctor, what are the effects of traumatic brain injury that can affect your health or, or hamper your return to the field or sure. to work? Well, I think the, the, the place to start in, in answering that question is, is to sort of illustrate that there's a, there's a spectrum of, of, or a continuum of, of severity to moderate and, and severe forms of brain injury. And what we, what we know for certain is that the, the risk of long-term consequences from injury really are largely dependent on the acute severity. So for instance, the individual who has 30 days of coma, broad evidence of, of structural brain damage on CAT scan or, or MRI, is really at risk of, of long-term or, or permanent impairments resulting from their injury. At the other end of the continuum, as I mentioned, the person who uh, has a, a slight concussion at the family picnic usually has a complete recovery within a matter of days without any medical intervention whatsoever, and they return to work, they return to school, they return to athletics without problem. In the middle is a, a moderately severe uh, grade of injury where there's a number of factors that can influence recovery and outcome. And then what we're learning more recently is uh, the potential risks associated with repetitive injury, even milder forms that have a, there could have a piling on effect. And that was going to be my next question. You know, how um, severity obviously is an issue, but repetitive of, in, of injury also. Correct. So there's been uh, speculation and, and a small number of studies in recent years suggesting that uh, history of concussion may be a, a risk factor, um, especially in the context of multiple injuries. Um, some suggestion that it, uh, a repeat injury might result in a slower recovery, a greater risk of another concussion, or potential long-term consequences. And the, the discussion over the past uh, couple of years has expanded to uh, some speculation that it might not just be the number of injuries that someone sustains, but the total uh, body of exposure that they sustain over, for instance, a military career or a, or a, a sports career. Uh, that, is, that work is very much in its infantile stages. Um, with much more work to be done to establish whether or not there is indeed an association um, with uh, low-grade head impact exposure as a risk, and if so, um, who's at risk and what are the, in the other intervening factors uh, that mitigate that risk. I know that your research is really designed and designated to lead to interventions to lessen the effects of concussion. Where do you feel you are in the translational process? Has any of the research led to even more safety measures or greater technologies that are in the works? It's a great question, uh, and I was asked a similar question a few days ago and, and answered it using a, a football analogy, that we're, we're probably somewhere near midfield. Over the past 20 years, we've made enormous strides on the research side of the house 
that have translated directly to developing better methods for the diagnosis of concussion and traumatic brain injury, uh, standardized clinical tools that can be used in the assessment of individuals affected by traumatic brain injury, and informed protocols for injury management and, for instance, in a sports setting, return to play protocols, or in a military setting, return to active duty uh, protocols, all informed by a great deal of science that's been conducted over the last 20 years that, in, that sort of illustrates for us the true natural history of clinical recovery. The next frontier is really around how long does it take for recovery to occur at a brain level. So what we have been studying is clinical recovery, which really is a observable, measurable surrogate of physiological recovery. The next frontier is how long does it take for the brain to recover. So these enhanced or new diagnostics that we have are giving us greater insight to what's happening inside of the brain, not just the visual clues we're getting from the exteriors. That's exactly right. So we are now employing advanced technologies such as MRI, uh, magnetic resonance imaging, uh, blood serum biomarkers, protein markers, genetics, and advanced clinical measures, electrophysiological testing, and, and other uh, modalities to give us a better sense for the time course of physiological recovery and neurobiological effects of injury that we can then correlate with our clinical measures of recovery. And we've talked uh, already about uh, the fact that you're working with um, uh, funders from the Department of Defense, um, from the National Football League, um, from the NCAA. Who are you working with on a community level here locally? We have uh, enjoyed a, a terrific relationship with a number of uh, high school institutions and, and colleges and universities here in the Milwaukee area for uh, now almost 20 years. And when I think about the impact that we've had on athletes and, and clinicians and institutions here in, in southeastern Wisconsin, it's, it's something that we should all be proud of. Um, we've enrolled thousands of athletes from the Milwaukee area in our studies. And what is a direct benefit to those athletes and, and their parents and their school systems is all of this work is provided to them at, at no cost to the, to the athlete, their parents, their insurance company, their institution. Uh, not only in terms of baseline assessments prior to the season, uh, but also all of our athletes get extensive follow-up that then their local clinician can utilize that data in making more informed decisions about when the athlete's ready to return to play. That's great information, Doctor. When preparing for this interview, I wasn't quite sure if we'd be able to do it in your uh, office or we'd have to do it on the play field because uh, uh, you're quite infamous for being seen on the sidelines of the play fields. Yeah, I, th I think I'm, uh, I'm one of those people that has been incredibly fortunate to, to marry my interest in the neurosciences with my, uh, my love for sports. So when I get to come to work each day, it's, it's sort of the best of both worlds. It sounds like it. Thank you so much for your time, Doctor. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed this. You can read more on traumatic brain injury at ctsi.mcw.edu. We'll be right back.
If you didn't already know, March is Traumatic Brain Injury Awareness Month, and few people are more aware of how a blow to the head can stop the action on the playfield than Wauwatosa East head football coach Mike Richards. Um, so, Coach, tell me how long you have been participating or your players have been participating or your athletes in this kind of study along with Dr. McRae. I believe it's the last three years. I've been the head football coach the past three years here at Wauwatosa East. What does it mean to you, to your sports program here at Wauwatosa East, even to the community here that we are in, in Wauwatosa, uh, to be involved in this kind of research? I think it's great for our kids, and I think it's great for parents as well uh, to be that we work hand-in-hand with the Medical College of Wisconsin. What I try to stress to parents today is that with all the information that's out there now, and there's you know been study after study after study about the big word, concussion, that football today, as we speak, is as safe as it's ever been with the technology of helmets, with the technology of even shoulder pads and things like that, and the education on the stuff. So when our kids practice... You know, they have this past year, they had this little chip be put on the back of their ear. And after every practice, uh, those chips would be removed and put into a computer program where uh, our athletic trainer and then I believe with the people from the Medical College of Wisconsin could analyze every blow that the kids took, no matter which angle it was from, which direction, how hard, how soft, every blow was analyzed. And so they can kind of... combine that information along with studies to make football safer, not year by year, not week by week, but day by day. And it, it's, I think what they've done within the last year or two is amazing. Coach, tell me how you feel about the care that your players receive when they're doing this kind of study or they're performing this kind of community service. I think the care that we get for our players is amazing. Uh, Gail Bonafiglio is our athletic trainer, not only for football here at Tosa East, but for all of our sports. And she does an amazing job. And not only she works with the people from the medical college um, and works very well hand in hand with them. Anytime one of our kids comes over to any one of us coaches during practice, coach, my head hurts, I don't feel well, we don't question it, go see Gail, go see our trainer. And I think, again, with, with, the, with the preventative measures and the safety things, I think it's just working out great for our kids. I feel very confident and our kids get the um, proper treatment, proper diagnosis and things like that. Um, so I have every confidence in the world and our training staff that our kids get uh, number one care. Uh, Coach, thank you. I appreciate it, David. Thank you very much for stopping by. One last item. CTSI Discovery Radio airs the third Friday of every month. So make sure to mark your calendar and join us for our next show. And do log on to our website, ctsi.mcw.edu, for even more information about research and your health. Until then, CTSI Discovery Radio is produced by the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin in collaboration with WMSE Radio. The show is engineered by Tom Crawford, with special thanks to Sandy Everts and Drs. Herman Vietz and Reza Shakir.